podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Merry Christmas, boys and girls. It's the Two-Footed Podcast on Thursday, the 24th of December, Christmas Eve, brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. So it's Thursday, it's Christmas Eve, there's no podcast tomorrow, so what we're going to do today is we're going to predict, preview and predict the weekend's games um, before we get to that, though, and I will be joined by Guy Drinkle, of course, I do have one question that I've overlooked, and I've kind of held it off for a little while, because I did want to do it on a Thursday. It's from Lee Cox, and the question is, Thanos Thursday, you have the power of one snap to improve the football world. Your snap will dust three of the following. Football YouTube channels, football podcasts, in the nose, newspapers, Print media journalists, managers, current footballers, or retired footballers. So, I mean, can I get rid of all other podcasts, meaning everybody has to listen to this one? <laughs> Would that work? Uh, no, we'll, we'll have to keep football podcasts um, because that's what I do. Uh, in the nose of the first one that have to go. They have to go. I'd like it actually to be all of football Twitter because it's mostly a cesspool, but we'll go with in the nose. You know the 14-year-olds sitting at home in their parents' basement, never seen the sun, just sitting at home with nothing better to do and coming up with absolute nonsense on the internet, making up transfer rumours, making up gossip, just complete and utter trash. And the worst part is thousands, thousands of gullible people will follow these accounts, believe what they have to say, even when they're proven wrong. Dozens and dozens of times, even when everything they say is a lie, when their sources don't exist, people still follow them, ask them what's happening. It's just, it's a bad scene for everybody. So, in the nose would be the first one. Uh, football YouTube channels, I, I think it would have to be the second one. Now, I'll still need my weekly dose of Mark Goldbridge, so he's going to have to figure out something else to do to himself. Because I, I, I need that man in my life. He is he is outstanding. He, he's brilliant at what he does. He's created a character and made it work for him. He's made a good living off it. He's popular. He's disliked. But people still watch. And that's that's the main thing. It's all about the views on YouTube, and his channel gets more views than pretty much any other football channel out there, be it from United fans or be it from fans of other clubs wanting to see him melt down or call people a prat or whatever it is, What even when he's playing FIFA and he's having conniptions at Phil Jones, who he is controlling and calling him a bloody prat, Mark Goldbridge is top-tier entertainment. So, 
we'll find Goldbridge something else to do. But football YouTube channels, they've got to go. Most of them are trash. The likes of True Jordy, he he's wide ranging. He can do a whole bunch of things, so he gets to stay as well. His podcast is brilliant and isn't necessarily football related. Um, the rest can go. Um, and for a third one, then, I mean, newspapers are dying anyway. As are print media journalists. I mean, it's it's such a Compared to, say, 25 years ago, print media journalists just work to a much lower standard. There's much more of them now. Like, there's probably five times the amount, ten times the amount. So they're all competing for the same stuff. Clickbait has become the order of the day because, you know, that's ad revenue. Uh, With newspaper sales in the toilet, online revenue is, is where these organizations have to make their money. And clickbait is what what helps to make the money. So even if the article itself is not clickbait, the title will be clickbait. So copy editors are actually worse than the journalists. Like you'll you'll see a a journalist tweet a link with a real clickbaity headline, and they'll get absolute pelters about it, and they'll be trying to explain to people just read the piece, read the piece, and you read the piece, and the headline isn't even relatable. There's maybe one sentence that matches up with something the headline is suggesting but i th- i think football websites would be a better one than either newspapers or print journalists i'll go with newspapers because that would get rid of one newspaper in particular which is owned by rupert murdoch so we'll we'll go newspapers and then that would be my three if i could have a fourth retired footballers because then we'd have no bad pundits. But I'll go newspapers in the nose and football YouTube channels, because I I think we would all be better off without all of these things, except for Mark Goldbridge. We need Mark Goldbridge in our lives. The more Goldbridge, the better. Uh, Right, I've got Guy Drinkle with me. How are you, Guy? I am all right. How are you? I'm good. Are you all ready for Christmas? Of course. All all wrapped up, all good. Done Done my gift wrapping the other night. All good. Yeah, see, I planned for Christmas brilliantly. I had everything bought by, like, mid-November. Done, dusted, everything sorted. I haven't wrapped a thing. Not a thing. You so were going to me, when I told you I did my Christmas shopping, that you were well yeah. prepared, and it was done, like, a month ago. Yeah. So now could I do that to you? Yes, of course you can. Fantastic. I have massively left myself with a mountain to climb just afternoon. Like, <laughs> it's it's not funny. <laughs> but I'm laughing, because otherwise I will cry. I even, this is how bad it got, Guy. I looked into present wrapping services. <laughs> <laughs> but there was none close to where I live. So I'm just stuck doing it myself. Uh, so that will be, if anyone's wondering how I'm spending my afternoon, not enjoying the Christmas spirit or anything like that. Anyone in rural be... Ireland who can give Dave a hand. <laughs> yeah, if if there's anyone in the Cavan region who wants to drop over, it, I'll pay for petrol. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I will be spending my afternoon swearing loudly, probably scaring Molly, uh, throwing things and making an abomination. And I'm and the worst part is, I'm terrible at wrapping presents, oh, so I'll spend hours yeah. doing it. 
and they will literally look like I just threw the wrapping paper on, wrapped it in sellotape, and went, there you go, there's your present. So, yeah, as apologies to everybody who receives a gift from me, but the gifts are good. The, the gifts are good. Um, right, we've got a full slate of games across Saturday and Sunday. There are also games Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but look, we'll we'll talk about them on, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, let's Let's get into Saturday and Sunday. Right, so the first game of this weekend, and it's actually a weekend on Christmas period for once, so it's almost normal. Um, Leicester versus Man United. Now, this is probably a more important game than it should have been a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is a second v third. Um, now, I don't think either of these will be in a proper title challenge, but we've seen Leicester sustain it for half a season last year, and United are improving from the poor performances at the start, but the performance is now getting a bit better. Mm. Um, who's who's your favourite in this one? Well, United are the, are the form team in the league. If you look by the form guide over the last five games, United sit top. Uh, four wins and a draw. That draw came against Man City, so as bad as the game was, it's a respectable result. The performance against Leeds was up there with Everton as their best performance of the season. Um, they have generally struggled to put together good 90 minutes in the Premier League. Leicester, a little bit inconsistent. Two defeats out of the last five, but a really good win uh, away to Spurs last time out. Um, Leicester have nine wins and five uh, five defeats this year, no draws. United have only two draws this season. They're both really good going forward. They're both decent defensively. United do struggle against pace, though. And this Leicester team has pace to burn in Jamie Vardy and Harvey Barnes. I'm leaning towards a 2-1 Leicester win, which will keep them, you know, right in the mix at the top of the table. Uh, Would likely see United drop out of the top four. But I do think Leicester at home should win this game. So I'll go 2-1 Leicester. Yeah, I think Vardy had a knock after the last game. I mean, is it literally... Mm, he, had, he has a hip injury, but he says he's fit. Right, okay. So even if they get 60 out of him, uh, I think that will be beneficial. Like, the issue for United is they're really fun going forward. Like, Bruno's amazing. I love watching Rashford play. I think Greenwood's one of the biggest talents we've seen come through in the Premier League in a long time. Martial is obviously very good when he's on form. When they move the ball well, when Fred is in the mood and he's getting involved in the attacking areas and slipping little passes here and there and recycling the ball, and they get that power from McTominay bursting through the middle, they can be a handful. They don't get a whole lot from their fullbacks. Now, Alex Tellez is likely to play because Luke Shaw is ruled out. United are without... Oh no, Luke Shaw looks like he's back. Uh, Rojo, Phil Jones. There is a doubt over McTominay. He'll have a late fitness test on a groin problem. Mm. So he could miss this game and maybe be back for the next one. Uh, For Leicester, Sayonchu is still out. Um, Ricardo Pereira is still out. And Fardy should be back after that issue he, he suffered against Spurs. So yeah, I'll, I'll go Leicester 2-1. Yeah, fair enough. I could see this beat anything, really. Um, 
Moving up then, we've got Aston Villa v Crystal Palace. Um, Aston Villa, obviously, a bit of a mixed fall after a really good start. Um, where are they? The, well, the sixth, the sixth in the form table, so I'm lying there, obviously. <laughs> but uh, maybe the biggest story out, out in terms of the form guide is that Crystal Palace are down in 17th, and mm. in, in the one I'm looking at, it's one win in sixth, in six, yeah. and that was against West Brom. I think it was a 10-man West Brom, if memory serves. Um, is that worrying for Crystal Palace? I know we see Roy Hodgson teams go in patches of form and then it always ends up being one win, one draw, one win. Uh, one loss, I should say. Um, but that, that's not good form from Crystal Palace and obviously coming off a 7-0 loss as well. It's not good form and and you're completely right. But you, you, you've you also nailed the the thing with the Hodgie, um, the Hodgie theory, which is... He will win one, draw one, and lose one out of each three games. And that will get him enough points at the end of the season to be more than comfortable. That will get him in around 45 to 48 points. And Hodgie will be more than happy with that. He'll sit happily in the lower half of the mid-table. Job done. He, Crystal Palace don't hire him to do anything else. Um, They have been poor of late. They obviously got demolished last weekend by Liverpool seven nil. That that is a that game was concerning to me because they just didn't look like they had any idea what they were doing defensively. Now they have quite the injury um, list at the moment. Benteke is back from suspension, but Gary Cahill is a doubt. Connor Wickham, Martin Kelly, Wayne Hennessy, Nathan Ferguson, and uh, Mamadou Sacco all ruled out. So. They're going to be, again, kind of bare bones as a squad. But they still have mm. quality to put on the field. For Villa, Wesley and Trezeguet are ruled out. But Ezri Konza is back. And Ross Barkley looks like he'll be back as well. Might only make the bench for this one. But getting Barkley back will be huge. Because he's so important to Villa. Who, like you say, a little bit inconsistent. They've kind of bounced back a little bit in recent weeks. They did have that that dip that kind of coincided with Barkley going out of the team. Yeah, um, they've won two of their last three, and I mean, if they can get Ollie Watkins back firing, I think Villa will be more than comfortable, absolutely comfortable. Mm. Um, this game's at Villa Park. Villa have lost a couple of times there this season, but I don't think Palace have enough. To to upset them uh, this weekend, so I'm going to say Villa three one. Yeah, I could I can certainly see that. See where I mean, the, I've added like Bertrand Traore starting more games. I think they've they found a balance without Barkley now, haven't they? Yeah, very much so. They've gotten Traore into the team, so they're getting that extra attacker in there. He's providing a nice counterbalance to Grealish because he's really good. Off the ball, makes good runs. They've got El Ghazi in the team now, so they've got pace in, on both flanks. Grealish playing as a 10 in behind Watkins, and then a double pivot of normally John McGinn and Douglas Louise. Um, getting Conza back is huge, though, because it solidifies that defence. He's comfortably the best defender at the club, and I really like that right-side defensive pairing of him and Matty Cash at mm. right back. I think that works very well for them. And obviously, Emi Martinez has been one of the one of the better goalkeepers in the league this year. Um, arguably the best goalkeeper in the league overall, given the full schedule of games, because Alison Becker missed a couple of games. 
Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I wouldn't argue with that. There's not many goalkeepers I can think of that have had outstanding seasons. Um, maybe Alex McCarthy, who's in the next game, something all right. But uh, we'll move on to that game, Fulham v Southampton. Um, before Anderson's red card was rescinded, I thought this would be the story of the missing players, but obviously he's, he's now available again, I believe. Um, uh, but Southampton are missing Danny Ings, and Fulham, who... They've not completely turned it around, as you, I think you said a, a few shows ago, but they're now picking up draws where they would have obviously been mm. defeats, and eventually they'll turn into wins, maybe they'll lose some, obviously, but they are improving, and it, do you think that's down to them becoming more of a settled side? We've seen, I think we've seen the same back five, counting the goalkeeper. Midfield's only changed after that international break, but it seems to be Zambo plus one. Um and the attack line seems to be settled, albeit Mitrovic is not firing where he, they probably need him to, but Cavaliero, Luckman, Loftus-Cheek and Kearney seems like a good mix. Yeah, um, they have been a lot better of late. Uh, having lost seven of their first nine games, they've lost only one of the last five, drawn the last three. That represents good form for Fulham at the moment. They need to start winning a, a few more. Because Burnley have kind of pulled themselves a little mm. bit out of the mud. But now Brighton are getting dragged back into it. And I think as things shape up, you're looking Brighton and Fulham. You know, if, if Fulham can get a win and Brighton struggle this weekend, you know, that would get Fulham out of the bottom three as well. And We've then all of a sudden. Arsenal I think, to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think Arsenal then start to get a little bit. I, don't, I don't, can't wait to talk about them. I, I think Arsenal get a little bit twitchy then as well. Um, no Danny Ings, Fulham at home. Like you said, Anderson's red card rescinded. Romeo suspended, Ings out, Armstrong a doubt, Redmond a major doubt, uh, Yannick Vestergaard a doubt. Oof. That's a lot. Now, for Fulham, Kenny Tete is, is still ruled out and Terence Congolo is still ruled out. But Ivan Cavaliero is also a major doubt. And he, he's a blow for them. The other two wouldn't be in the team anyway, or haven't been in the team anyway. Mm-hmm. Cavaliero has played a big part for them. I'm going to say Fulham. I'm going to say Fulham win this game. I think this is a win for Fulham. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be scrappy. I don't think there'll be a whole lot of goals in this game. Mm. I'm going to say 1-0 Fulham. Is this the first time you've predicted them to win this season? I think it may be. I think it very well may be the first time I've predicted them to win this season. And it has very little to do with Scott Parker. It is mostly down to the Danny Ings factor. If Danny Ings was playing, I'd back Southampton to win. But um, they did They did well when he was out last time. Yeah. But... I mean, they're not totally reliant on him. Che Adams yeah. is, is very good. Uh, Walcott has found a bit of form this year. Jenipo's looked a lot better mm. this year. But if, if Ings is out and if Armstrong's not 100% and if Redmond is out, they, they are sort of bare bones from an attacking sense. Um, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to stick with Fulham. I'm going to go Fulham 1 0. Yeah, if, depending who's fit out of that injury list, it could be a, a bit of a makeshift Southampton team. We've seen them use youngsters in the past, like, what is it, Will Smallbones played on the, in, in Armstrong's yeah, position? Yeah, and, and like, if they have Slatter, to change the back as well. Yeah. Um, like Jack uh, Stevens as, or Salisu. 
Yeah, and Salisu I don't think is ready to play. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't featured yet for them. I, I'd imagine it will be Jack Stevens that gets thrown in, and uh, he's just not quite as like I don't think Vestergaard is anything close to the defender people are making him out to be, but I do think he's a little bit better than Jack Stevens. Um, better partner uh, in it, isn't it? yeah and I think the problem with Stevens is Stevens has to play on the right hand side which means Bednarak has to swap so you're actually changing both centre back positions which also then affects the relationships, uh, relationships with the full backs you're also now missing your holding midfielder in Romeo who's suspended I think that's massive for them as well because him and Ward Prowse have been really good together mm. this year and then you've probably thrown in is it Diallo the side as well Probably and like yeah. he's he's really really talented and, and long term he's definitely he's definitely the one there, but yeah I I do think I do think Fulham have a, have a really good chance because Anderson's fit are available I I think that's massive for them he's been really really good that that partnership at centre back has worked really well um and like like you said let me Zambo in midfield without Romeo there to check his runs, I think Zambo could, could have a field day here. Yeah, if it's Zambo and Lamina, I mean they ran over Liverpool's midfield. So it it's uh, it could be a tough it could be a tough game. I th- again I think it just depends how many players are fit for Southampton, I think, in that game. But it'll be interesting to see. I think that'll be a fun game actually. I know you said not many goals, but I think it a nice midfield battle because Ward Prowse mm. is one of the better midfielders in the league, I reckon, and so Zambo. So. It's a lot of fun to watch, isn't he? Yeah, like yeah. People think he's just a set piece merchant, mm. but his in-game passing—he works really hard. He makes good, good, clever runs, takes up good positions. He must be the most underrated player. Yeah, he's got to be in the mix. Mm. He really does. And and this season, like he he has taken his game up a little bit. I think, I think the captaincy has helped him mm. because like he's he's one of them. He's from like he came through the academy. Do you know that is his club. And I think it matters more to him than to a lot of others. So, yeah, I'm 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 very pleased for him this season because he had a rough kind of first few years of his career where he was yeah. in the team, he was out of the team, Managers he was managed by Dross. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, imagine being a young player being managed by Mark Hughes. I mean, come on, like who was the you know before in Pellegrino? Yeah, not great. I mean, he yeah. you know he was there for the for the Poch era, but he was a kid. He wasn't you know wasn't really part of the. Oh, you the get brought mix. through by Pochettino and Koeman. He is Pellegrino and Mark Hughes. <laughs> That's exactly the thing. Like, you get two good managers, then you get two really bad managers. Now you've got a really, really good manager. I mean, mm. I think Ralph might be the best manager he's played under. Well, we, maybe you'll discuss the Poch news at the end. But <laughs> uh, oh, just... oh, we'll get to it. We'll yeah. get to it. Don't worry. I'm yeah. saving that. That's that's the, that's the Trev Downey corner. Yeah. We're going to discuss where Tommy end. Tuchel's going. Yeah. <laughs> um, but next up is the game you, you wanted to talk about. Uh, probably the biggest game of the weekend on paper. Maybe not in terms of quality of teams, because that's probably Leicester Man United. But Arsenal-Chelsea, London derby. We've seen this feisty fixture. Um, maybe less so since Arsenal and Mourinho aren't there. Um, but Christ, Arsenal midweek. I don't think anyone watched it, but I'm sure we've all seen the goalkeeper mistakes now. I know he won't play, but there is no like I was on today's podcast last night, and as I said, there is no argument for Arsenal in this game. There really isn't. There really isn't any argument for them at all. 
Um, they're bottom half, so that's the type of team that Chelsea will beat. Um, now, Chelsea themselves have been a little bit inconsistent. Two defeats in the last five, only the two wins. Uh, Arsenal, however, consistent, but they've been consistently awful. Four defeats from five, obviously dumped out of the League Cup in the week. Uh, things not going well for the Gunners, and they, Aubameyang is a doubt. Martinelli is a doubt after coming back for his first start through the night. Uh, Xhaka is, I think, suspended, and, and Thomas Partey is ruled out. So that's, you know, Partey and, and Aubameyang, at least, they're very important pieces for them, the best midfielder, the best attacker. I think Martinelli uh, might be the best attacker the way Aubameyang's been playing. Well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> and, uh, he, like it's it's a lost season for him thus far, but he is he's a huge talent, and mm. he's another one that they'll probably end up making a mess of. Now, I will say, the only thing for Chelsea is Chelsea don't have Reese James. They don't have Ben Chilwell, and Zayic is still ruled out. So they lose their their two fullbacks who've been very creative for them this year. They don't have their most creative attacker in Zayic. So, you know, is it going to be Aspilicueta and Alonso as the fullbacks, or Emerson Palm- Palmieri? Didn't That's a Lampard big Lampard throw? He threw Alonso out the team pretty much, didn't he? Yeah, so I think it'll probably be Palmieri mm. and and um, Aspilicueta. Now, Aspilicueta is a good defender, but he's not particularly good going forward anymore since he kind of passed his, the peak years of his career. Uh, Palmieri is good going forward, but can't defend. Now, unfortunately for Arsenal, mm. they don't have anybody on the right-hand side of their attack who's going to punish them for that. You'd wonder if maybe Willian will finally decide to start repaying some of that massive contract he got when he sees his old team. I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, I mean, Arsenal have just been, uh, uh, they've been a disgrace this season. And surely Arteta's job is, is hanging by a thread. I think Chelsea should win this game. I, I think they should win it pretty comfortably. But it, you know how bad I am at predictions. This will be the one mm. that will come back and bite me. I'll say Chelsea 3-1. But there's just I've an I've a nagging feeling that Arsenal could pull out a win here because they went to Old Trafford and beat United. You know, they, they they can raise their game at times. They gave Liverpool a decent game until Liverpool just wiped the floor with to them. To be fair, they had party fit in that game and it was his best and probably only yeah, performance. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> and stuff. So that was it was a penalty to be fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, he'll take any goal he can get this season. Don't give away a penalty, Chelsea, and you'll probably win. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Chelsea win this game, but like there's just this this league is so weird this season, it's so hard to predict. But I'll say Chelsea three one. Yeah, they they should be they should be favourites and they should be confident going into the game. Um Without party there, I mean, Chelsea's midfield should just dominate, really. I'm, did you say Zach is, Jack is out as well? He's suspended, isn't he? I don't even know who could play in midfield for Arsenal. Sabayos. I'm guessing it'll be Elneny and Ceballos. I'm, oh, I'm guessing. Not great. That's worse than That's worse than Sheffield United's midfield. Yes, Sanderberg is comfortably better than both of them. I'd rather have like John Fleck and Hold as well. Yeah. That's not great. Oh dear. Um, but yeah, I think Arsenal with them key players missing. Um, I mean, we we were talking on WhatsApp the other day, weren't we? As a Liverpool, as both Liverpool fans, is there anyone from Arsenal's squad 
who'd get in our not our first team, our squad, and Gabriel's probably the only one you could argue. I mean, we'd obviously take Saka and Martinelli, but they probably won't get on the bench. Um, is Gabriel Thomas, pa- Thomas Partey, Partey would start. Partey. I think Thomas Partey would start for us. Gabriel would make the bench. Mm. Aubameyang would make the bench. Arsenal fans would be furious. Now, look, you could you could play Sa- uh, Sadio Mane as a nine or Mo as a nine and move Mane to the right and put Aubameyang in. But in mm. this form, Aubameyang is on the bench. Firmly on the bench, but yeah, on on at his best, he, he would obviously be. I think he'd be a starter. But that's it. Hmm. Two players, two players that would start. I, I take Tierney on the bench with Gabriel. I, I think he's better than Simicus. He's definitely better than Milner. So as fullback cover, he'd be, you know, because he can play both sides. He can play centre back. So I take those two, hmm. and then there'd be a bunch of youngsters you'd want. But like you say, they wouldn't make they wouldn't make the match day squad. You'd take Saka. You'd take Martinelli. Uh, they may well be taking Balogun. Um, I really, really like Emil Smith Rowe. I think he's a tremendous young player, and that's probably it. Mm. That is probably it, and that's not great for Arsenal. When, when you think back to what they were, and we used to, as Liverpool fans, be like, oh, "Well, how many of our players were getting their team right to be Gerrard?" Gerard Torres. <laughs> Gerard uh, Torres was probably a push. But like, if you Van look Persie at the, at their peak. Invincibles team, say, right? Yeah. So that's 16 years, 17 years since the Invincibles were together. Mm. Um, I, I think at the time, Gerard. Sammy Hippie probably makes the team next to Saul Campbell at centre-back. Whoa, whoa. I will not have Colo to disrespect Colo, Colo on this podcast. Go to the bench and look happy, Colo. You're no. fine. Um, Gerard over uh, Gerard on the Lundberg? right wing over Lumberg, and that is it. Mm. Um, well, we we had Michael Owen at the time, but he's still not getting in over Burkamp or Henry. No, probably so, yeah, not. <laughs> we had two, and then we would have had a couple that would have made their bench, like Owen. Um, even in the Rafa era, it was Dudek would have made the bench. It was quite even, like later on when uh, post Invincibles. I mean, Fabregas, Gerard. Yeah, they had Van Persie. Yeah. Um, oh, and you take Leno as the backup goalkeeper. You take him over Adrian. That's, and, that's uh, just clutching the straws. <laughs> that is clutching the straws very much. Very much clutching the straws. Yeah. I mean, backup goalkeeper is Adrian or, or Quiven Kelleher, who's a very young goalkeeper. Uh, but is better than Arsenal's backup goalkeeper, runner Alex Runnerson, who is dreadful. Uh, so, that's yeah, true. I mean... It's not it's not a good situation for Arsenal. It's crazy to see how things have switched over the past 16 years or so uh, and in particular over the last 5 years because the day Klopp took over Arsenal were still a vastly superior team to, to mm. Liverpool. We've not talked about Chelsea much in this fixture. I don't want to be negative on Chelsea, but they've obviously been a bit inconsistent as you said at the, when we started talking about them. But is the Lack of form from Werner, who's had all right numbers, but when you watch him, there just doesn't seem to be the spark that you kind of expected from mm-hmm. their big number nine. So I know he's playing left wing or whatever, but when you watch, doesn't him, look he, he doesn't. He doesn't look like a the star number nine they wanted, and that's been a problem position since Costa and Conte mm-hmm. fell out. Really, I think I've said this all along. I don't think they ever intended to sign Timo Werner or Kai Havertz. Mm. 
because Timo Werner was going to Liverpool. That deal was as done as it can be without being signed. And then COVID hit and Liverpool were like, oh, we need to, can't really do this deal. We, you know, we don't have that kind of financial uh, power at the moment. We, you know, we'll have to either renegotiate or, you know, we'll have to just pass on the deal. And Mm -hmm. for Leipzig, they were, you know, they were staunch in what they wanted and how they wanted the money and what fees they wanted and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they held firm and nobody else came in and then all of a sudden Chelsea pounced and they got the man that was available. Like, as I said, I, I don't think they ever intended to have him. So I don't think Frank planned to have Timo Werner in his team. And he doesn't seem to have fully grasped yet how to use him. I think mm. his overall play has been decent. In front of goal, though, he has lost his confidence. I think he's hit the post more than anybody in the top five leagues this year. But he doesn't look like a confident player when he shoots. He looks like Torres at Chelsea. Yes, he does. And if you even look at the first Abraham goal against West Ham, that's a shot from Werner. That's not a pass to Abraham. It's a shot. And look how poorly he strikes that ball. That's not a confident player. I think if he gets one, he might go on a little bit of a run, even if it's a penalty or one that bounces in off his backside. I, I think he's a he's a very good player, but he's never been... Like, if you look at his entire career, he's not a clinical striker. He's mm. he's a little bit... He's not quite Andy Cole in terms of the the requirement of shot volume. But he's not a Robbie Fowler either, like where if he takes two shots, he expects one goal. Um, I think last year was maybe the first year he'd ever outperformed his XG. Mm. I mean, you have to remember as well, he came through at Stuttgart as a left winger, got converted into a striker at Leipzig, mm. and then sort of got shifted by Nagelsmann into that inside left role. But he played a really narrow inside left. Whereas Chelsea have him playing quite a wide inside left. Is it he's ideal almost for playing him being a two? I think he'd be better off in a two. But the problem for them then is this, they've got Christian Pulisic. Now they could go four four two and play, say, Pulisic and Callum Hudson Odoi in wide roles. But then what do you do with Kai Havertz? You could play mm. Kai in the two with Werner, but what do you do with Tammy Abraham? What do you do with Zayic, who you spent big money on in the summer? You don't really have the midfielders for a two either because Kante, Mount, and Kovacic, they all want to press and break forward. Mm. They don't want to sit and hold the midfield. Now, the if they were to buy Declan Rice... As well. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If they if they buy Declan Rice and, and sit him into midfield, then mm. Declan Rice plus any of the three I've mentioned, Kovacic, Kante, Mount. Rice Kante is very Matic Kante, isn't it? Yes, which worked, which won them a title. And, I mean, I think Rice Mount could well end up being the long-term pairing for them, but Rice Kante Mm. in the short term would work. Rice Kovacic would be really interesting because if Kovacic can find the form he displayed last year when, for me... You take all the midfielders in the league that play in central areas and break them into defensive midfield, attacking midfield, and just central midfielders, that link, the in-between role. I think he was the best central midfielder in mm-hmm. the Premier League last year. Fabinho was the best holding midfielder. 
Kevin De Bruyne and Bruno when he arrived were the best attacking midfielders. I think Kovacic did that middle role better than anybody else in the league last season. So I'd be interested to see Kovacic and Rice as well. I don't think they'll obviously get Rice in January, but see, if they hadn't sent Ethan Ampadu off to suffer at Sheffield United, <laughs> he could play that role really, really well. Um, and if they if they are smart, they bring him back in the summer and they just have him basically move in with Thiago Silva and learn as much as he can and pl- and replace him. And then Rice just stays in midfield. There's been a lot of talk that they'll buy Rice, play him in midfield, and then he'll move to centre-back to replace Silva. I think Ampadu's the one that can replace Silva. Mm. And if you buy Rice, just keep him in midfield. Do, do you think Silva's been better than you thought? Because I think we always bring it up, we always thought the big lads in the Premier League would would get to He him, hasn't but... been as exposed. I, I think mm. he's been massively helped by Kurt Zuma. I think Zuma's mm. having a tremendous year. Now, I do think Silva helped Zuma because he talks him through games um, and kind of keeps him focused and keeps him alert. Zuma's big problem has always been concentration. He has all the physical tools. He's an incredible athlete, great pace, super strong, you know, amazing leap. Um, Silva has helped him stay focused, but all of those attributes of Zuma have helped protect Thiago Silva you're also seeing Chelsea play a deeper line than I think Frank started the season playing. And with Zuma, he takes the more physical attacker. So when they play mm. Burnley, he takes Chris Wood. When they play West Ham, he takes Sebastian Haller. And they're protecting Silva from those type of battles. Now, there's going to be... There, are, there have been a couple of games where Silva's been exposed, and there will be more. Like when they play Liverpool, I expect to see Firmino go and stand on him and drag him all over the pitch, and then Salah exploit him in behind. Um, but he has been—he has been better. Look, he's—he's a—he's a—he's a, he's a good defender. He's not—he's not a great defender anymore. His experience, his reading of the game, these type of things—they get him through games more than actual ability. His experience and. The fact that he's been around and seen it all is what's helping him manage his way through games at the minute. Uh, but he's still getting done 1v1 on occasion. And the more he gets exploited, and he could get exploited in this game, if they could find ways to get, say, Nicolas Pepe 1v1 against him, that given Palmieri wandering if. off down the other. Yeah, with, with, with Pepe, <laughs> you just don't know what you're going to get. I wasn't about Pepe, I was like, about Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> like, Palmieri will go wandering. He will wander off up the field, forget that he's a left-back, and just go and stand in the left-wing spot uh, and keep Timo Werner company, which maybe is the issue. Maybe Werner's just lonely out there in the left-wing. Uh, maybe Ben Chilwell doesn't talk to him enough. But um, I do think there's there's going to be times coming forward, especially as the games get more and more regular. Mm. Like... Silver, remember, has, has, hasn't really had to do the two games a week thing a whole lot so far this season. Yeah, true. But there's there's 12 games coming in 56 days in the Premier League alone, plus the FA Cup, plus the European games come back then at the end of that. And then and at that point, they're going to need him for the knockout stages. Now, they got a horrible draw in the Champions League. So, so he's going to miss a bunch of games. Mm. Or he's going to end up getting badly exposed because he will get fatigued because he's 36 years of age. Mm. He's never played in a physical league before and he's certainly never played in a league as high tempo as this one. 
It's strange. I don't think many would have said that. Well, maybe Mendy because Kepa was awful. But I don't think many would say Mendy and Thiago Silva would be the most eye-catching <laughs> signings they've made so far from that window. But uh, here we are. Um, we spent quite a bit of time on that one, so let's move on to Man City v Newcastle. Now, last time I was this confident in Man City winning a game, it was West Brom. They drew against West Brom. This is. I'm still thinking Man City will win this because Newcastle have a hundred people who have coronavirus. But does that West Brom game put any doubt in your mind? It does a little bit, and their performance against Southampton wasn't particularly inspiring as well. Uh, inspiring either. They're still far too reliant on Kevin De Bruyne to create everything for them. Um. They've obviously their injury situation has improved, which is a is a big big boost for City. Um, they currently only have one player ruled out. That's Eric Garcia. Now they'll have to be careful with Aguero, with Laporte, who's been playing with an injury all season, with with Gabby Jesus, who's only come back and he got finally got a goal um, against Arsenal. And actually, it just like I forgot to mention the other night that cross from Zinchenko that is absolutely filthy. That is one of the best crosses I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. The angle he takes on that ball and where he puts that ball, it invites the keeper out. The keeper has to go for it, but there's no real chance of the keeper getting to it. All Jesus has to do is touch it with his head and it's in the net. It's a phenomenal cross. I really like Sinchenko, actually, and I I hope he moves on from City and goes somewhere where he's going to start every game. I do think he's a really, really nice player. Um. For the tune, Dubravka is still out. Uh, I think he's he could potentially be back in the new year, but you know they've done okay with Carl Darlow. Uh, Federico Fernandez is a fitness test. Sir Maximum is still out with his, uh, I think, with his Rona. Mm-hmm. Jamal Lachelles is still out. Javi Menkeo is still out with the Rona, and Fabian Schar is out with the. They, they just haven't been able to get rid of it, have they? Mm. Um, You'd have to fancy City at home. You'd have to. And my stepfather listens to this, so I have to pick them. So I'm going to say City, shake off some of the the, the stench that's been on them this season, where they haven't been anywhere near as good as expected. And they've already dropped points seven times. They've only won six games. Um, they do have the game in hand against Villa, but City will not be chuffed with where they are in the league. But I'm going to say City win this game 3-0. The after, really. <laughs> Just have to. Um, but we'll move on because it's not the most. Uh, Either the next one. Yeah, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, Sheffield United v Everton's next one. I was watching the Everton Man United game in the background live when I was talking to Tilly last night, doing my prediction for it. And I was very confident of Everton winning. Then all of a sudden Richarlison gets sandwiched and his head gets squashed between two people. We saw when Richarlison was out last time, and we I assume we don't have details whether he'll be fit or not yet because it's too soon. But if Richarlison's out, we've seen they're a much worse team. It literally is night and day when he's not there because he's probably their most important player. I think they're potentially missing they're four most important players mm. for this game. So 
I don't think he should be allowed to play. He got knocked clean unconscious. Mm. Like, he was twitching on the ground. This is like football, you, though. They do not care. Yeah, well, that, see, that's the problem. But in any other sport, he would be in concussion protocol and we wouldn't see him for two weeks, which would be a disaster for Everton over the Christmas period. Now, James is also a doubt. He'll have a, he's missed the last few games. He'll have a fitness test. Alan is ruled out. That's their, by far their best midfielder. Mm-hmm. Luca Dina is ruled out. He's their most important outlet. Uh, Fabian Delph is ruled out. So there's their backup left back gone. And Gabamon is still ruled out. But I don't know if he actually exists. I, I, I think that was some sort of. Him and Tiago um, in some parallel universe. Yeah, I think that's just some sort of weird money laundering thing where they've just kind of sent a bunch of money to France and, and not got anything back. Because, I mean, he was really good. Was it? No, it wasn't France. It was Mines they signed him from, wasn't it? I think um, he, like, he was really good, Gabamon. Um, yeah, it was Mines. He was at Lens before. Um He's a really good holding midfielder. Really, really good player. He's played two league games since they, he's played two games total since they signed him. Two games in a season and a bit. That's they paid horrendous. 25 million for him. Like sure, he's had, and it's, it's all thigh injuries. Uh, it's, it's so unfortunate for him. I really, really hope he can come back. He's had, He's had two operations on his thigh and a third injury to it. And he's also had an Achilles tendon strain, which is something you have to be really careful with, or you end up with a ruptured Achilles, in which case that that's career-altering. Um, but yeah, I mean, Richarlison, James, Alan, Luca Dina, those four. I mean, take let's take Sadio Mane, Andy Robertson... Ginny Wijnaldum and Mo Salah. Maybe not Salah. Maybe I'm Bobby. Let's take Bobby. Let's take those four out of the Liverpool team. Liverpool have a better squad, so they'd be more capable of of covering for that. But they'd still not be the same team. Mm. You know? Like, you take their entire left side out, Liverpool would still find it hard to, to readjust. Um... I have to say, like, I've criticized Kane, so I'm going to criticize Bruno Fernandes. He did that Kane thing, turned his back and sort of nudged his hip into Richarlison, which knocked him off balance. I'm not sure what Eric Bailly was attempting to accomplish, but he threw his hip into Richarlison's face as well. It was, it reminded me a little bit. It was like half Harry Kane on, well, anybody that Harry Kane does that to. And I don't know if you've ever seen the, the clip from the 82 World Cup. Of the German keeper, uh, Harold Schumacher, charging out of his goal and clattering that French striker. I think it, Baptiste was his name. Oh, rings a bell, yeah. And he knocked, like, he knocked his front teeth out, knocked him unconscious. The guy was never the same. Um, it reminded me of, of, a, of a combination of those. It was a hor- horrendous incident. And how both of them stayed in the pitch afterwards, I don't know. Like, as I said, Bruno. That is just dirty play. He is he was trying to do the Harry Kane thing there. Um and I think if Richarlison hadn't ended up crumpled in a heap, Bruno probably would have been rolling around on the floor. It's a it's a bad act. It really is a bad act. And uh, it's, it, this is the type of thing that can happen with aerial jewels, you know? Um I hope he's alright. 
you know, I've seen a few people say, oh, it's payback for the Thiago tackle. Look, the Thiago tackle was was a disgrace, and he should have got a longer ban, I think. But, you know, he got the three games that the, that the league is, is mandated to give him. So he served his, his punishment, and he's back. He's a huge blow for, for Everton. Massive blow if he's out. He's so like he's such a good player. Him and Calvert Lewin cause all manner of problems. Um with with Everton being without those four, it really does give Sheffield United a chance. Now, unfortunately for them, Sander Berg is ruled out that's their best midfielder. Uh he's likely to be out for three to four months. And Ooh, Jack O'Connell is out for probably the season. So that's their best defender gone. Uh, John Lundstrom is suspended, and Ollie McBurney is a doubt. So that's not going to be a pretty team. No, that's not going to be good at all. Ber- losing Berger is massive. It really, really is. Um, maybe it saves him the the hardship of going through this relegation battle, but or this this relegation. But um, Everton should have still have enough to win this game because Calvert-Lewin is still there. Decore is still there. Uh, Andre Gomez is back. Gilfie's been okay recently. Will be if Hamas can make it, if Hamas can make it, that will be massive for them. I- I'm going to say Everton win this game. It will be an ugly game, but I think Everton win it 2-1. Yeah, I can't see it being pretty with all the, them players missing. Um... But we'll move on to the first Sunday game, Leeds v Burnley. Um, now, when I was talking to Tadiwa, I'm quite confident in Burnley winning this, and I'll tell you why. Leeds have no centre-backs, <laughs> and the centre-backs they have already are bad. Never mind putting, I'm going to guess it'll be Ailing and Strike at centre-back. That against Ashley Barnes, Chris Wood and Jay Rodriguez. I just don't see how Burnley don't score goals in this game. Regardless of it being Burnley, they should score goals in this game. The fact that you suggested Burnley to score goals, plural, um, is 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 a quite a quite a statement. Um, but I do agree with you. Uh, Diego Loriente out, Robin Cock out, Liam Cooper expected to be out, Gaetano Berardi and Adam Forshaw have been out all season, so you'd expect that they will remain out for the foreseeable. That is, you know, that's their top three centre-backs all missing. Burnley Ailing. are fifth in the form table. When did this happen? Yeah, Burnley have turned things round. Burnley have turned things round over the last few games. They've won two of the last five. They've drawn two of the last five. Just that one defeat. And truth be told, since that defeat to Chelsea... Burnley have been pretty good. They drew with Brighton. They beat Palace. They got walloped by City, but they always get walloped by City. We expect them to get walloped by City. Uh, a draw with Everton was a great result. Beat Arsenal. Everybody beats Arsenal, but I mean they beat Arsenal. And uh, a draw with Villa away was a really, really strong result. And then, of course, they beat Wolves. Mm. So they have... Sean. I've been saying it all season. Sean Dyche is one of the best managers in the league. Um, they had a dreadful start because they've got a tiny squad. They didn't add to it in the summer, and they had key injuries. Now, anyone else in the league would have dealt with the fact that Ben Mee was missing, but they didn't have a competent centre-back to step in there. They've got most of the squad fit now. Their only 
Their only real injury is Jack Cork. Now, McNeil and Brady both have fitness tests before this game. Goodmanson has a chance to be back. Vidra, I think, probably still misses out for this one. Uh, He's got a muscle issue in his back. If McNeil misses out, it's massive because he's their outlet. And him and Taylor down that left wing is probably the strongest area of their team outside of centre-back. But Josh Brownhill has really stepped up recently. And I, I really like him as a player. I think he's, I think he's quite a, quite a good player to him watch. Westwood seems quite settled now. Yeah, and I think Jack Cork's going to have a tough time getting back into that team. Maybe Graham um, Hill on the right when he comes back. Possibly if they want to go a little bit narrow. Yeah. I mean, if 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 Dyche was feeling adventurous, maybe they could go Brown Hill, Westwood, Cork as a three, and play Jay Rodriguez, Chris Wood, and Dwight McNeil as a three. But four three three might be a little bit too. Um, adventurous, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit fancy for Mister <laughs> Dyche. Now, this is this is the like the ultimate contrast in managers. Sean Dyche, obviously, quite a conservative manager. Marcelo Bielsa, absolutely off the reservation, crazy. But um, I, I think this will be an interesting game. Like you, I think Burnley could win this game. Burnley's. One of Burnley's biggest strengths is they're really good on set pieces. Leeds are the worst team I've ever seen when it comes to defending set pieces. <laughs> and they won't have Liam Cooper, who's not a particularly good defender, but he's at least tall and can head the ball away. So they're going to play Luke Ayling, who's not a centre-back. He's a full-back who isn't good defensively. He's an attacking full-back. He's an attacking full-back. He's a, like, he is a wing-back. It's like playing Matt Doherty at centre back. He's he's got the height, but that's about it. And yeah, some someone else will fit in. Stryker probably. Uh, Leeds should still have enough talent going forward to cause some problems. Have figured things out defensively again. Um, and you know when you look at their defensive record, only Arsenal and Wolves in the bottom half of the league have a better defensive record. And actually. Wolves is the same, 19 goals conceded. But Wolves are a much better team than Burnley on paper. Um, And like Southampton, Everton, they've conceded the same amount of goals. Liverpool have conceded the same amount of goals. Man United have conceded two two goals more. You know, like, Burnley will always have a good defence. They just need to score a few more goals. But they can grind out results. And I'm going to... Side by side with you, I'm going to predict a Burnley win here. Um, I'll say two one. This is a game I'm definitely going to watch because I always watch Leeds because I watch every game. The but contrast I, in style going to be amazing. I'm going to watch this game live. Like I, I watch a lot of the games at like two a.m. because I because I've nothing better to be doing myself. But um, I'll watch this one live, and I'm very I'm quite excited for the yeah the contrast in styles. The the contrast in I'd love just a camera a hard camera. On the managers, just to watch the difference between Bielsa and Dyche on the touchline, um, will be quite good. I'll go, I'll go two one Burnley. Mm. Next game then, West Ham Brighton. Um, if everyone was fit for West Ham, you'd probably say they'd win quite comfortably, considering Brighton's lack of goals, etc. But since Masuaku's injury, and Antonio's obviously been missing as well, who's their firepower, but since they've had to go back to four at the back, it, it just doesn't feel the same. And obviously, 
Cresswell was doing well as a left centre-back, but at left-back he's got more attacking responsibility. The, the centre-backs don't seem to suit two at the back, or in a two-man partnership, I should say. Um, I think that gives hope for Brighton, but I think this will be a, a close game. Yeah, I expect a close game as well. Um, Brighton will be without Lamptey, by the looks of things, and Doney is still out, and Esquerde is still out. Uh, for West Ham, I think Antonio has a small chance of getting back, but is unlikely to start. Lanzini is ruled out, and Masawaka is ruled out. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if they if they stick with the the back four, which doesn't work as well because Balbuena is just not a good defender. He just positionally he's a disaster. He there's no ability to read the game at all. In a three, he's fine because you can protect him a bit more. Same with Ogbonna. I think he's much more suited to a three. And Cresswell, like you said, a better left centre-back than, than full-back at this point in his career. The Rice-Suchek thing is still very, very good, no matter what shape they play. Mm-hmm. And when they do play the back four, it means they can get four attackers on the field. So you get Halar up front, and then Bowen, Benrama, and Fornals behind. And I do like that. I think that is, I think that is a really good three. Um, you'd obviously like more goals, but I think Ben Rama has the potential to to score more goals. Bowen will get goals, and Halara has been he's been good of late. Now he didn't have a good game against Chelsea, but he, he's he's been good of late. Lamptey's a huge loss for Brighton. He he's the attacking outlet they need, and with, with him out, they tend to play Joel Veltman there, who's a defender. He's not an attack minded player. When he plays right back, he plays right back. He is not passing the halfway line. They're playing empty shirts like Adam Lalana, too far too regularly, who offers very, very little. Um, Davy Proper and, and Basuma should be the midfield pair there. They're the two best midfielders they have by a mile. They fit well together. I don't understand why Alexis McAllister hasn't played more. I think McAllister and Trossard behind Mope would at least cause teams trouble. <clears throat> Whereas Danny Welbeck, I know he scored last time out, but again, <laughs> you don't get much from Danny Welbeck in the way of a goal threat. He works very hard and his hold-up play and link-up play are all fine, but he's not much of a goal threat. I think he's got, has he got two goals this season? Um, I think so. I'm not sure I, how many more players as well. I, I'm, I'm so disappointed in Brighton this year. I really thought mm. in the summer... You're only a couple of players away from really having a potential top half challenging team, and they just did nothing. The, you know the Lalana signing, I, I I didn't mind for an experienced head around the place, squad player, put him in here and there, but to be playing in this regularly is ridiculous. Mm. Uh, Veltman again, squad player, but he's he's had to play a bit too much. Ben White is not as good a defender as I'd hoped he would be this season, and that's caused a few issues at the back. They didn't add that wing, that left wing back they needed either, so Sully March has had to play far too much. Um, they've had issues in midfield with, with Proper was out for a while, but uh, Basuma was suspended when he hook kicked that Sweet Newcastle player. Music. Yeah, in the jaw, which is uh, Jamal Lewis, wasn't it? Um, which was, you know, unfortunate. Um, and then, like, the Mope being a bit of an idiot and not adding the striker that they needed. It just, it hasn't gone well for Brighton this is season. January the mo- is January the, are they the club that needs 
is January the most important for? Very important for them. Very, very important for them. They need to add a goal scorer. Like Brandon Williams is is allegedly available on loan from United. They need to go and get him and plug him in at left wing back. And you can rotate him in March. But when Lamptey is out, he can also switch across and play right wing back. And you're not having to play Joel Veltman in that position. But they need to go and find someone that will put the ball in the back of the net for them. If they can get someone who will score them 10 goals between January and the end of the season, I think they're fine. But as things stand, like if, if I had to pick right now between them and Fulham, I'm only picking Brighton because they've got the better manager. If Fulham make a change and get anybody competent in to replace Scott Parker, I, I think I'd pick Fulham because they've definitely got more talent. Yeah, I'd agree. But, yeah, it's just, they've been so disappointing. I'm going to pick West Ham to win this game. Um, I think this is the type of game where Ben, ben Rama and, and Fornals weave a bit of magic and, and carve open the the right side of that Brighton defence, uh, really pick on Ben White, drag Lewis Dunk over and, and create space for Halar and, and Bowen coming at the far post. So I'm going to say West Ham win 3-1. This is actually... So I was wrong about a few teams this season. Very wrong about a few teams this season. I was, <laughs> was wrong about quite a few of them. Not, not many. Not many, in, in truth. I, I did say I did say Everton would, would finish top four. Now, they, they, I don't know if they will, but they're fourth at the minute. Uh, I predicted Liverpool would win the league. They're top of the league at the minute. You know, I said I said Chelsea would be outside the top four. They're currently outside the top four. And, you know, so I, I've done all right. I think I've done all right this season with, with some of the predictions for the, the table, if not the individual games. But the three I was most wrong about, I think, I don't think there's anyone else that's glaringly bad. I don't think there is. Sheffield United, who I thought would be fine. <laughs> and I, I thought they'd have a, you know, a dip and finish. I think I predicted them 14th or 15th. You thought um, they'd have more than two points. <laughs> I definitely thought they'd have more than two points from from fourteen games. <laughs> definitely. Um, I thought Brighton would challenge for the top half. I thought they could challenge for tenth. Um, and I thought West Ham would struggle. Now look, West Ham are tenth. They're eleven points off the bottom three. So. If they were to go on an absolutely stinking run of form, which they're very capable of doing, they could very well get dragged back into it. And I do think they're probably going to finish 13th, 14th, somewhere around Palace, Newcastle, that kind of mix. But thus far, much better than I expected. Six wins, which I genuinely didn't think they'd have at this point. When they lost to Newcastle and they had that really tough run of games coming up, I thought they might find themselves basically where Sheffield United were after seven games. But they won a couple of big games. They got a couple of good draws. And they've just chugged along and, and gotten points. And, and one of the reasons was David Moyes. And when I rang to my managers, I said, David Moyes is the better manager than we've seen at his last few jobs. Everton David Moyes was a good manager. What we're seeing is Everton David Moyes. So I... I you know, I was completely wrong about the team, but I, I think Moyes has done a much better job than people expect them to. Um, and, and all credit, I think, has to go to him. He got COVID, took that for the team. They got better. He came back and he kept them on the right track. He also made, I think, one of the signings of the summer in Vladimir Kufal, the right back. 
mm. who has been tremendous for five million. Like they had a horrendous fullback situation last season. Still not fixed. They still need that left back. And I wonder in January if maybe they go knocking for Harry Pickering uh, to bring him in at left back. I know there was interest there last summer. Or Rico Henry from Brentford, though, would, you know, would have been January. Brentford still believing they're, you know, a promotion caliber team. Maybe Brentford won't be willing to make that move. But I, I do think West Ham have a move in them for January. And we'll probably do something on that next week or the week after. Um, but yeah, I, I think West Ham win this game three one. I think they'll 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 pick the holes in the, in that Brighton defence. And if if Potter goes with Lalana in central midfield, Suchek is just going to have an absolute field day. He is just going to bully that lad all over the field, run all over him, and it, it won't be pretty. So yeah, three one to West Ham. Yeah, makes me feel bad about my prediction of Brighton winning last night. Um, but anywho, on to Liverpool v West Brom. Um, now, Liverpool should win this. And I'd be confident regardless. But is, is it just simply too soon for Big Sam at West Brom to have made a proper impact? Because you've I mentioned Brighton in terms of importance in January. Maybe West Brom's probably the rival for most important January as well. Um, but West Brom maybe just lack the quality to, to cause these upsets at the minute. Mm. West Brom. Man City. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They did pull out that, that good result. They drew with Chelsea earlier in the season oh, as yeah, well. Of course, yeah. Jake Livermore been suspended as big for them. He is obviously their captain. He's important to them. Um, Connor Townsend ruled out injured. Hal Robson, Canu, and Kyle Bartley both a doubt. Bartley's not really a loss because he's not very good, but it, the alternative is probably Ivanovic, which isn't good either. Um, Pereira is back, though, so that's big for them. So they will have that front three, and I do like that front three of Pereira and Diangana either side of uh, Carlin Grant. But the problem is everything behind that. Connor, uh, Connor Gallagher is a good midfielder. Roman Sayers is a good midfielder, but there's no third midfielder there. There's no runner. There's nobody who can either sit in next to Sayers in a double pivot or be kind of a roaming destroyer. Uh, and the defense is just, I mean, it, it is uh, turgid. It is, uh, it's an abomination. Nobody's conceded more goals from open play in the league this season. Nobody looks more open, even with Big Sam. I mean, they, they capitulated against Villa when they went uh, a man down, which isn't something you expect from a big Sam team. But like you say, very early for him at, at West Brom. A lot of sendings the, off as well. A lot of sendings off. The, the gravy has not yet been made, you see. What's happened is the granules are in the cup, but the water has not yet been added. And if it has, it's cold water. So Sam hasn't got the gravy mix just He's right yet. He's it for Christmas. Well, that's exactly it. So he can hold off and he can marinate it for the next game. Um, Liverpool should win this game comfortably. Uh, Simicus is ruled out. Jota is ruled out. Alcantara is back in full training. Milner is back in training, but he's not expected to play. Shakiri is back in training again. Too early for him. 
Alcantara might make do, the bench, but I don't not imagine play him against West Brom for the love of God. Yeah, he'll get kicked a lot. Well, the, the only thing is, this is the type of game Liverpool probably did buy him for, is the games against the, the deep block teams. But uh, obviously, Van Dijk and Gomez ruled out as well. They're, they're not going to. They're not going to play again this season. So Liverpool should win this game comfortably. They're coming off a seven 0 win over Crystal Palace. And West Brom obviously coming off that 3-0 defeat um, against Villa. West Brom, definitely a team that will be in the market in January. I think Phil Jones makes a lot of sense there on a loan if they could get him. Nat Phillips, I think Liverpool might be willing to sell him in January if they bring Mm -hmm. someone in. He's the type of defender that I think Big Sam would like to get his hands on. He's also the type that if they do go down, you can bring Nat Phillips down with you. He's not going to be pushing for a move. Championship is probably his level at the minute, but he can do a job in a big Sam back four. Um, all things considered, I'll go one-one because I'm predicting one-one draws for Liverpool from now until the rent, the, the the end of the season. Uh, because I did it last weekend to reverse jinx them, following some horrendous predictions the week before, where I predicted them to beat Fulham five-nil, and they didn't. <laughs> so I'm going to say one-one because that is my prediction for Liverpool for now until forever. I like it. I like it, and fu- I fully agree with it. You gotta, you gotta anti jinx the jinx. I like it. Um, last game then, Wolves v Spurs. Um, how important is this game for Spurs? Because what is it? F- drop points in three games, two losses on the bounce. Mm. Yeah, this is the, the, the Jorge Mendes derby. Um, yes, <laughs> he'll be closely watching to see if which of his players he can move. In January, and which of the managers that he represents, he can, you know, try and bully a new contract for. Um, as you say, Spurs' form has not been good over the last five games. Just the one win, uh, two successive defeats. Now, a defeat away to Liverpool's no bad result because Liverpool are the, are the defending champions and are now top of the league. But the defeat uh, to to Leicester was very, very disappointing. I think Jose needs to take the shackles off a little bit uh, and needs to stop being so uber-conservative. He For a while this season, he did take the shackles off and Spurs got themselves to the top of the league. He put them back on and, and they've dropped off. Like, Liverpool played Spurs 10 days ago? I think 10 days ago? No, 8, day, eight or 9 days ago as, as we record this. Mm. And they were joined top of the league. Spurs are now six points behind Liverpool. Uh, Spurs are now sixth in the league. Wolves are the most boring team in the league this season. Um, The shackles are very much on them. Only 14 goals scored in their 14 games against 19 conceded. The defensive issues that I've been highlighting have been exposed a few times. Um, Six defeats already this season, only the six wins. So very inconsistent in, in the last five, two wins and three defeats couple of poor defeats in there as well. No Raul Jimenez is massive. Like, Jimenez is so important to everything Wolves do that without him, they do look a little bit clueless in attack. Uh, Dendonker expected to be out as well, and Johnny Otto is ruled out. For Spurs, Jaffa Tanganga is ruled out, but he's missed most of the season anyway. And Giovanni Lacelso is a doubt with a tight hamstring. Might make it probably be on the bench. I think Spurs win this game. I think this game is the type of game that Mourinho enjoys. There won't be much excitement. It won't be, you know, two end to end. 
I think it'll be a good game of football. There's plenty of good footballers on the pitch. But I think Spurs will eke out a, a 2-1 win. I've picked a lot of 2-1s this week, I know, but I'm going to go Spurs 2-1. Yeah, it's certainly important. I think the lack of Jimenez, the lack of form in Adama and Prudence and Neto seem to take turns being good. Mm. Um, they should be able to handle it. But See, the problem for Wolves is that ideally in attack, they would go Fabio Silva with Adama... Pedence and Neto behind them but to do that they have to play a back four and the only way they can play a back four is to leave Connor Cody out of the team because he can't defend and he can't play in a four mm. and he's their captain and Nuno seems to you know refuse to leave him out of the team if they play a back four against Son and Kane they'll get ruined if they play a back four with Cody they'll get ruined I think Bolly and Kilman would do okay Especially if you play Mark Hall at left back rather than Aint Nuri. Defensively, yeah. he'd just be a bit stronger. Yeah. You know, and, and Semedo's quick at left back, at right back rather. So maybe he, his pace can keep up with Son. He doesn't really care about defending, but he's got the pace to do it. Um, I think they could play that back four and then go Moutinho and Neves. Now, you'd prefer it to be Dendonker and Neves in a two. I think in a 4 2 3 1, Dendonker and Neves is the better balance. Um, I think Wolves are another team that could be buyers in January. Just, I know he's been linked with Liverpool. Just keep an eye on Renato Sanchez to Wolves. He's a Mendes client. Mm. Lille are in financial dire straits. Just Google Mendes clients. One of them will be <laughs> Wolves. Well, that's the thing. So that, <laughs> It's funny. So I, I was looking at potential Wolves signings for the summer. And... Um, I thought, well, you know, it's going to be a small pool. It'll be largely players either in Portugal or represented by Jorge Mendes. So what do they really need? They need centre-backs. So looking at his client list, Bernardo Silva, obviously not a centre-back. Cristiano, Fabinho, Ruben Diaz is a centre-back, but he was too expensive for them. and He's obviously just gone to City. Ederson, Ruben Neves, uh, Diogo Jota, who just left there, Joe Canseo. James, Nelson Semedo, who they have, um, Angel Di Mario, Ricardo Pereira, they don't need a right back, Rafael Liao, who I know they'd like, but uh, the, you know, uh, AC Milan aren't going to sell him, Andre Silva, that might be one to keep an eye on, um, they might they might look to try and bring him in, uh, Neto, Pedence, PZ, who's too old for them, Doherty, who just left, Carlos Vinicius, who's on loan at Spurs, Renato Sanchez, so that's Keep an eye on him. Just as a central midfield option, they might look to bring him in. Uh, Gonzalo Guedes, they, they won't do that. Rui Patricio, he's already there. Um, Nicholas Otamendi is the next centre-back in this, but he just went to Benfica and also isn't very good. Uh, Ruben Vezo is a centre-back at Levante. Keep an eye on him being linked with, with Wolves. Um, and if they do just want a young Portuguese central defender, David Carmel of Sporting Braga is one just to keep your eye on for links to Wolves. If they do want to bring in a centre-back, just keep an eye on David Carmel's name. David Carmel and Renato Sanchez, I think, are two names that will crop up in Wolves' rumours over the next 
four weeks or five weeks or however long the window Gary will last. Gary Who? Gary. I hope you pronounce his name. No. On a free, no. come on. They love no. a bad centre-back. They do love a bad centre-back, to be fair. They do love a really bad centre-back. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think they'll have to make a move in January. I really do. I, it wouldn't surprise me if they look to bring in a striker. So, again, that's where someone like an Andre Silva could come in. Andrea Belletti has been linked, and that would be a really interesting one because he could play with Jimenez. When he comes back, Arcadius Millick is one to keep an eye on because he's out of contract in the summer. Napoli didn't register him in their squad for Serie A. He's just sitting around collecting dust. He could be had really cheap. They could look to bring him in and then even sell him in the summer at a profit if he does well for them or just keep him and and have him and Jimenez. They could probably play together. They'd figure it out. They're both very good. Um, And and he's played with with, um, Lewandowski for Poland, so he can play in a two. But yeah, they're the three names to keep an eye on, actually. Milik, just because he's an opportunity. Sanchez and uh, and David Carmel. Just keep an eye on those three names for Wolves. Because I, I think it would be fascinating if they if they did um, bring in Carmel. Because he is really, really good. Like he is, He's a proper, special prospect. Um, yeah, I'll go, I'll go Spurs 2-1. And, and that is it. That wraps us for those games. Uh, we'll we'll look at the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday games on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. The last thing for today, then, guy, is that Tommy Tuchel, our pal at PSG, winner of back-to-back uh, French league titles, Champions League runner-up, uh, has been given a Merry Christmas and goodbye by Paris Saint-Germain, sacked this morning uh, after, I suppose, a disappointing start to the season in terms of the the French League, their second, no, their third, sorry. Uh, one point behind Lyon and Lille. Four defeats already, though. I think that's what's done him in. Obviously not overly impressive in the Champions League group either, as they struggled with Manchester United, for starters, uh, who, who beat them in the, in the first game. And... Um, you know they did top the top the group, but they they level on points with with Leipzig, who also beat them. So all things considered, uh, a little bit surprising in terms of the timing. But I did say on on AI scouted pods a few weeks ago. I think he's one that might go. Uh, Mohamed Bouhafsi has reported that Maurizio Pochettino is the favorite to take over. So this has two ramifications. Number one, it takes Pochettino out of the market for Manchester United or Arsenal if they were to make a move. But it does put Tommy Tuchel in the market. And he's a figure of fun. He's easy to laugh at. He does look a little bit like a serial killer. Um, And, you know, he may well have bodies buried in the crawl space under his house. But that's not for us to speculate on. Um, Thomas Tuchel to Arsenal. To me makes a lot of sense mm. he is a good manager like I think the he was at Mines for years he did very well there he gets the Dortmund job he puts together I think at that time arguably the most exciting attack in Europe Mectarian was world class under him Royce was incredible Aubameyang was phenomenal that season 
He folds out with everybody. Largely, it started with him and Sven Mislintat. Mislintat leaves, leaves, goes to Arsenal. Tuchel resigns on Twitter. Doesn't resign to Dortmund. Publishes his resignation on Twitter. Goes to PSG. Wins back-to-back titles, so he's done that part. But that's the easy part for them. That's not what they hire managers to do. They hire managers to win the Champions League. And um, and finds himself now out of a job. I think I think that's one to keep an eye on. Thomas Tuchel to Arsenal. I think that rumour starts up in January. Him and Allegri are now sitting out there available. And Allegri, it's funny with Allegri because Allegri also had won a whole bunch of titles at Juventus before finding himself pushed out the door having failed to win the um, the Champions League. You look at Valverde at Barcelona, won back-to-back titles, got the sack. Sarri won the title with Juve, but didn't win the Champions League, got the sack. Niko Kovic won the Bundesliga title with um, with Bayern, got the sack. Now, it worked out for them because Hansi Flick took over and they won the Champions League. But it does show that in a lot of these leagues, winning winning the league title isn't enough. It shows the dominance there's been in in France with PSG, in Germany with Bayern, in Italy with Juve. In Spain, it's been Barca and Real. Atletico did win that one title, and I'm, I'm hopeful they'll win it again this year. So there's been some competition in that league, but in the other three, very little competition over the last decade, really. The one Monaco title, I think Juve have nine in a row. Bayern, I think, have nine in a row. Like people laugh at, at Scotland because Celtic won nine in a row, but look at those top five leagues. It does 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 just show how fortunate we are with the Premier League that in the last decade we've had United win a title, City win a title, Leicester win a title, and Liverpool win a title, and Chelsea. So you've had five league champions over the last ten years, uh, whereas those other leagues have largely had one or, or two. Um, it shows that the Premier League is, is, whether it's the best league or not, I don't know, but it is the most competitive league. And that's a good thing. Competition is good. Um, Tommy Tuchel to Arsenal is how we'll end this podcast. I can think of no more Christmassy way to end the podcast than the idea of Thomas Tuchel with a Santi hat and a Christmas jumper being unveiled to the world as Mikel Arteta finds out via social media that he's been removed as Arsenal manager. That is it. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, to Guy Drinkle. Merry Christmas to you, Guy. Thank you to everybody who has listened to this podcast and supported this podcast from day one. We will be back next week. Merry Christmas. Enjoy yourselves. Stay safe. Stay home. Don't be an idiot. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.